All right. We're back. We we are back. I feel like Stu in the hangover. It's been a long time. It really has. Season two, episode one. Our first after coaching season of the Quick Six. Um, and with that being said, um, it's mid-January, and we've had quite a bit of time off since our season's ended. We've had some time off since like state championships from the the Texas high school level wrapped up. Um and just to you know, obviously, and everybody has different different experiences. But um, the first thing I want to ask you is, how's life after football season been back in Texas? It's good, great state of Texas. Can't be bad. That's um, good. I mean, every time you you finish a season, it's always a uh, time to decompress. You know, spend time with the family because they've gone through so much with you during the season that it's that's kind of their their time with you, you know, they, right. they've sacrificed so much. And so it's always nice to, to put things back into perspective, be with them, especially now that we got the baby, you know, so she's nine months now. And so really good to be with her and, uh, just super appreciative of the wife of being able to, to take care of her and, um, do everything that she did because the season would have been possible without that. And I'm sure you'd probably agree and say the yeah, same it's, thing. I mean, a season ending is always bittersweet. You know, there's only, one team in your in everybody's classification that that gets to end the season on a on a playoff victory yep. and um you know so walking out the field it's one of those things where you're sad because it's over but at the same time man I just I, I distinctly remember that that next that literal next morning of kind of waking up slowly not feeling like got to get up at a certain time got to mm-hmm. get to, you know get on this do this start start the checklist and being able to just to sit there with the girls and and kind of like you said decompress enjoy you know just being here you know just to piggyback off of what you said you know Kelly handling everything so professionally smoothly you know throughout the season and and taking care of the girls and making sure that you know when I was here, when I was here, I got to be dad. Yeah. But understanding that when I wasn't here, that I had I had to be coach and allowing me the freedom and, and removing some of that anxiety and stress that can come from the back of your mind saying, like, am I not doing enough? Should, you know, am I yeah. here too often? You know, and I've, I know that's been – that can it'll always be a balance and issue that, that coaches have to deal with, you know, coaches with families. And so it's – it was something that I it it makes you those those following few days when your season ends kind of makes you appreciative and that's where the 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 sweetness of that bittersweet comes from. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things to where, for for both of us, it was our first season with a newborn, our first newborn. To where I was talking to a coach the other day about how easy it was to go home last year before Cameron was born. Last year, uh, you know, after a season, go home. And be tired and be like, oh, I'm just tired, babe. Like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'd still do my part. But, like, you know what I mean? You could be a, somewhat selfish. And they would understand. Right. <laughs> this year, go home. And she's been with the baby all day long. And you're tired. And you're like, crap. Like, the least that I could do is spend the next couple of hours before she goes to bed. You know, holding on to her. Trying to do dishes. Whatever I can. Um, 
a little bit more exhausting. Yeah, that, grown up world. You know, they don't. <laughs> you, I know that they don't want to put it this way, but it's it's one of those. There's like season's over. Okay. It's, yeah. You know. Yeah. Now your job starts. They won't say you, that. They'll exactly. say it with they'll say it with right. a face and a look sometimes. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, you ain't got that excuse <laughs> yeah, exactly. anymore. You, just, you don't have to go to work now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So how was a uh, recap your season though? Just kind of how how it went for you guys. Uh, we you know we took one step forward. I feel like um, twenty twenty was was a big learning experience for me and kind of figuring out the team and and things of that nature. We ended up falling short in twenty twenty in the fourth round on a on a field goal as time expired. Well, inside of a minute, really. But um, then looking at this year, we were able to start with more of a concrete idea of who we were. Um, and with that, we were able to uh, really build some momentum. We, we ended up falling short. We lost in the, the semis this year. That's to, uh, pretty good. To Gilmer. So, yeah. you know, they were a tough squad. They got a, they got a couple of, you know, their quarterback's committed to UTSA. They, you know, they yeah. got a, a stud 2023 receiver. They had some some big boys up front. They really gave us some problems. So they were a good football team. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's always tough, you know, when you lose, especially in our profession, because it's a little bit different from a coaching standpoint. You know those kids. You love mm-hmm. those kids. You've... You know, especially a town like this or a, a smaller town, those could you've seen them grow up since sometimes elementary school, but definitely seventh grade and on and, and seeing yeah. their progression and and knowing that, you know, ninety eight percent of those kids are that's the last time they're gonna put a helmet on, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's makes it it makes that game a little tougher and, and you wear it a little bit more. And this is year what for you at Salina? It's six? This is year seven. Seven. Yeah. And so like again, for those of you who don't know, like it's year seven for him, and it's not the first time going to the semis. I mean, he's been there a few times, so it's kudos to you guys for doing it the right way. Yeah, it's this year was this year was had a special feeling. It was actually it was the first time we had been back since my first year. So my first year, we lost in the, in the state championship. Uh, quarterback broke his arm on our first drive, and Remember you that? know we caught tooth Connor and nail. Pendleton? Pendleton, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it came up a little short, but um, then it was year two, it was fourth round. Um, and then it was, I want to say, the next year it was third round to Pleasant Grove when they were winning state titles. Mm-hmm. And then, so state championship, quarters, third round, third round, fourth round. Yeah. Jeez. So. No, third round, third round, second round, fourth round, and then this year. So that's unbelievable. Uh, we we really thought we had the momentum to carry us into that into week sixteen and into mm-hmm. Jerry World, and uh, it just came up a little short. Quick shout out, Coach Trailer for Gil- Gilmer. Right, he was yeah. there for a long time, got that thing rolling. Now yep. he's got UTSA rolling. So shout out to him. Yeah, I actually I got lucky that you know when I got to Salina, he had just left to go to the college ranks. So uh, okay. I never had to. Uh, to play or coach against a Jeff Trailer led Gilmer team, but mm-hmm. you know, the machine did not stop when he left. They yeah, they are still doing things right out there. Absolutely. Um, to piggyback off what we just talked about with the season, kind of going into what was the biggest thing that you learned as a coach this year? Um, you know, you become like super reflective, and and hindsight is like a double edged sword, right? Because you go back and you look, and you're like, ah, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that, like. You know, it's really easy to make those calls 20,000 feet, you know, in the air yep. and um, trying to not overinvest into that mindset. The biggest thing I took away from this year is just being who you are, you know, f- 
once I think coaches, for me, the process, the belief, the the path, you spend the off season, those early months identifying who your team is, you know, from an individual standpoint, who's the guys that we can count on, who's going to be the players to step up. And there's always some surprises, good surprises, bad surprises, mm -hmm. but you, you try and you spend those early months trying to figure that stuff out. And that's why coaches push track. It's not just because you need to run. It's because sure. we can learn so much about the individual through the sport that prepares us to game plan and put the pieces to the puzzle together over the summer into August and into the season. Um, trying to find, identify those individuals early on. And then you use that spring and summer to identify who you are as a collective unit. And, you know, really by week three, you should have a, a solid foundation of who you are offensive, de defensively. It doesn't matter, right? right. You, you are who you are, right? You know, old coach always told me, dance with the one that got you here. That's yep. the player. That's the scheme. Whatever it is. That's that's the offseason. Whatever it is that got you there, you know, be, be true to it. And um, – I look back and without getting deep into X's and O's, it's, you know, some missteps on my part, which, you know, was the focus of my reflection, I think came in getting away from who my foundational personality was as a play caller. Um, and right, wrong, or indifferent, it's it's only on me. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the thing that, you know, is is the challenge or the – the, that one step up in expectation of a, of a coordinator. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously leaps and bounds from coordinator to head coach, but from a coordinator standpoint, being able to, to be the filter, right. To take all of the, take all of the input from your assistants and, and all the schemes and the ideas and the, and the breakdowns, taking all that information and filtering it into an idea, a tr identity true game plan, right? Whatever mm -hmm. you were using that pieces of those pieces of information to highlight your foundational identity, not to create a new one. Um, and so that's kind of going to be my focus this off season from a personal standpoint is being better in tune with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they talk about, you know, there's losing and then there's lessons. And if you let it be a loss, then you've wasted an opportunity and, and trying to take, the, the couple games we fell short in and take those as lessons from that standpoint is, is really my learning point and, and hopefully eventual teaching point that's going to come out of this year. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. Are you guys young this year? Or were y'all experienced? No, we were, we were pretty, we were pretty senior laden. Um, okay. You know, we, I actually joked with, uh, with our receivers coach yesterday that, uh, you know, we threw the ball for about 2,400, 2,500 yards this year and we graduate, almost 2000 of them. Mm. So uh there's there's quite a bit of of meat left for anybody that's willing to come work for it and and, and take it. So better get some kids in some AP classes then I guess right, right? football. <laughs> <laughs> so um that's kind of you know we graduated we started four seniors on the offensive line. I got you. Um three seniors at receiver um our flex tight end sniffer was a senior. Um kind of the the thing that makes you not look and be like, oh god, we're doomed, is we we do bring back our whole backfield, which is which is nice. Two two running backs and our and our quarterback. So. Quarterback. Well, quarterback's the main thing, right? I mean, defense does not win championships. It's the quarterback. <laughs> Don't tell any DFCs out there. No, I know. I mean, it's at the end of the day. Again, that's going to create a lot of issues there in our right. But the program's a quarterback, and I'll believe that. And obviously, I'm biased, but. Extremely biased. Oh well, yeah, but I'll believe that till the day I die. Right. So, hundred percent. Unless you got Ray Lewis. It's a little, yeah. A little different. 
um, the identifying who you are. I think that's something that that rings true at every level. Mm-hmm. You know, it can ring true at Pop Warner if you want it to, um, or it can ring true to a Power Five school or the NFL. I mean, you and I were talking about Dave Aranda at AFCA. Mm. Yeah, just trying, just being. You know, obviously we weren't there, and we'll, and we'll dive into the the, the FOMO issues. Uh, yeah, you know, later on, but um, I did hear that. You know, Dave spoke on the. I think he spoke on the last day, and the biggest thing I think Coach talked about was being who you are and staying true to that, and more importantly, being who you say you are. Um, and I've always been big about that as a coach, just because again, kids are smarter than what we think, um, and and they can see who we truly are. And if you're trying to be somebody and, and coach in, in some type of way that is not true to who you are, uh, if you feel if you're trying to coach and always be the raw raw guy because that's what you you know you feel you should, and that's, and that's not who you are, kids are going to see that and it's not going to be genuine. And I think the relationships that you build with your players are the ones because they see you being truly who you are. Um, and when you watch Coach Aranda, he is who he is. Like he is even kill. Uh, I mean, to there, a fault. There was like a picture, I think, after a game to where I think it was a bowl game where they were like running and it's like still frame shot and Gatorade or water, whatever it was that they were trying to dump on him. Half of the water Gatorade was already on his body. Um, and he is still like even kill, no flinch, eyes like straight ahead. Laser focused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, but that's who he is all the time. And, and I respect that. Just again, I think the kids can see that. And that's the most important thing is just be who you are. And I think that, you know, the vessel of the message, right, Dave Aranda himself is is the perfect testament to that belief system or that message because, you know, you go two and tw- two and ten. Yeah. Right. And there's no there's not this holistic change or this like rebuilding anything. They just trusted the process, did what they're supposed to do in his vision, and yeah. it leads to a conference championship, a sugar bowl championship. Um and it would be it'd be really tough, right, for, you know, and this isn't like a knock on Nick Saban, but it'd be really tough for Nick Saban to come out and just be like, oh, yeah, just be who you are, you know? No doubt. Because yeah. who I've been in Alabama is the most dominant program in the entire country, so we just are that every day, you cool. know? Yeah. Nick Saban's going to be a better vessel for the message of adapting those certain aspects of your program, learning and pushing the education and not just – taking be who you are to be like, well, this is how we've always done it. Correct. Yeah. You know, those two are not mutually the same. They are yeah. two completely different messages. This is how we've always done it is the one that can lead to being counterproductive when you don't adapt. And you and I have said multiple times, adapt or die. Right. Right. Yeah. And so being who you are and staying true to that is not the same thing as doing it how we've always done it. And I think that when a message like that, I think it carries a little bit more volume when you see a guy that was able to stay true to his process and go from two and 10 right. to 12 and two. I th- yeah. 12 and two. Yeah. So average to great. Right. Exactly. Average to great. Well, and I think it's important to understand too. I mean, just like anything, um, I mean, you can't take it too far. It's like when, when we say like, be who you are and coach, you know, and be the guy that you're going to say you're going to be and do the things that you say you're going to do, that doesn't mean that Coach Belichick is always 100% of the time, 365, how you see him uh, in a press interview. Right, <laughs> like, right. There's times where you do have to get raw, raw. And, there's, and, I, and 
And I believe in that. But the point of it is, is who you are and your emotions, as long as you have control of all of that, be who you truly are and how you truly feel. And when you have control of those, I think, you, I think you're fine. It's whenever you feel like you're having to coach, say, or do something uh, in a way like somebody else because it worked when they did it. When you're not that person. So um, more importantly, be who you are. And uh, at least if it doesn't work, it didn't work how you were doing it. And as long exactly. as you learn from that, then you didn't lose. That's That last part is probably one of the things that kind of led me to that learning point from this season is like, if I'm going to go down. Oh yeah. Go down in flames. I want to, and I want to <laughs> go down doing what I, what I know, yeah. how I know it. If, yeah. if I'm, if I stay true to myself and we, and I, we work really hard and we game plan and everything that we do, I a hundred percent am aligned with from a day one philosophical standpoint and you beat me, then you beat me. Right. But I never want to feel like by trying to do this, we lost. Yeah, it's all, and you know, it's kind of an odd description. It's not being beat that right. hurts; it's me losing that really hurts. So, um, but you know, the whole Dave Aranda thing. I saw him after like that picture. I saw a meme, and it was like eight different shots of him at different games in the exact same facial expression. Yeah. But they, it said like it would say like elated, frustrated. <laughs> You're correct. Yeah, angry disappointed and they were all the exact same facial expression so he's like the ultimate like right laser focused even keel of like this is who i am mm -hmm. to the nth degree no so, doubt mad yeah. respect shout out tave yeah shout out baylor too good for them which as a baylor alum i'm not gonna lie after I, the 2020 season I, said that I knew you were gonna say something like, i couldn't say that and then you just move on <laughs> right after the 2020 season I had my, I was like, oh, you know, because Dave Randy gets hired. It's like, dude, big time defense yeah. coordinator. Like, this is going to be awesome. Then we go 2 and 10. And I was like, is it going to be awesome? Or is he just a great DC? Right. Because those people exist, you know? Yeah. And a lot of them. I was happily proven wrong as a as an alum to be like, okay, I we we just chopped wood and carried water the exact same way and, and trusted the process and, and yeah. it paid dividends. Absolutely. So. So moving on, let's, let's talk some more football. Um, my deep dive that I've taken into over the last you know, couple of months, talking about reflection right after the season and, and moving on to you know, pre-spring ball, every coordinator at this point is looking already, the, the way too early look of who are we going to be next year. Um, and my deep dive is, is just looking at and trying to understand and accept how cyclical football is and so you know again this is one of those things that I was describing to my wife on the way over here who again had probably very little clue as to what I was actually talking or even cared about what I was talking about when it yeah. comes to this stuff her, Bless her heart, in depth football history knowledge she listens and, <laughs> and I appreciate that um and just you know you're looking at it and let's take the um Iowa State defense for example okay so you're the you're the the three three five, or you're the three two six, whatever you want to call it. But everybody's got that that monster safety now, right? Um, and why did that start happening? Everybody's starting to sling the rock around. This guy named Art Browse and this guy named Hal Mummy come out of the picture a few years ago, and let's go ahead and expand the the offense and start slinging it around more, and um, and everybody starts doing that. Why was it so hard for people to defend? Because they had three or four linebackers that were 
6162-260 Monsters. And Brawls and those guys are smart to say, let's go ahead and get some space and make those monsters have to cover Tevin Reese. Good luck. Um, and on top of that, those are offensive systems that have not been around before. And so a good comparison is you're looking at, like, Army. You've got three days right now to prepare for an offense that you don't see on a week-to-week basis. And on top of it, hey, they're physical as hell, too. Yeah. Good luck. Oh, by the way, they're in the military. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a plus. But it's something that, I mean, every defensive coordinator is planning right now in their brain, even subconsciously, to defend the pass. It's what everybody's doing. Um, and so they've replaced those three or four, six, two, 260 monsters with um, maybe a six-foot-one hybrid. They had one rover. Now they've got three linebackers or four linebackers that would look like rovers a couple years ago. And what's happened now is offensively, in my brain, it's, okay, you guys have made that adjustment. Within the next five years, at least at minimum, it's going to be, okay, so you've gotten skinny. We need to get big. And, and <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying right now that you're going to see a lot more 12, 21 personnel. Because, again, it's cyclical. And, and again, you start tightening the box up. Now you're forcing those hybrid guys who don't want to be in the box to be into the box and stop the run. And what's going to happen 10 years from now, they get back to those monster linebackers. And then another Browse comes around. Or my grandkids probably come around. They're going to say, hey, you used to run this spread offense. Can you teach us how to run it? Yeah, that's how we did it back in the <laughs> Absolutely. day. Absolutely. And then it goes back in a circle and back in a circle. And so it's the whole point of me saying that is, me personally, as a coordinator, it, I'm always asking myself systematically, do I have the ability um, and adaptability within my system to be able to make those changes without contradicting verbiage, vernacular, all of that? And I think that's tough because you'll hear an argument from a lot of coaches um, that will defend their system till the day that they die. And I think some of those, some of those coaches say that and they internally know that there is an evolution happening, but they don't know another system, and they know for sure their system doesn't have that adaptability, and that's why they're defending their system. 100%. I think that, I mean, hey, shout out Dallas Morning News. We actually got some love in, the, in an article they did middle of the playoffs talking about um, um, that evolution aspect, and I, and I think that you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you know, this conversation has been had before and, like, we know this is going to happen. But I think we're at the tipping point. Yes. I think that I think that we've all kind of seen the path that everybody's headed down. But I think that this year and next year are really like those those tangible, measurable turning points where you see that shift. Um, Dallas Morning News did this article talking about, like, four or five different offenses in the Metroplex that had gone through – an output shift mm. and we're having better seasons this year than they did last year. And we happen to be mentioned in that um, this year, we doubled our rushing output essentially from last year. And the vast majority of that was December. I don't remember the exact day, but the first day that we sat down in that coach's office after losing to Graham in the fourth round in 2020, we sat down and we were like, okay, just no deep dive throw something on the wall, let's see what sticks the best. Mm -hmm. Who are we going to be? And everybody goes, we're going to be huge up front. Yep. And we are going to be – we were really young 
in the backfield in 2020. We're going to be more experienced in the backfield. Okay, so everything is going to be predicated around yep. run the ball. Yep. So, And what it did was that we were still able to maintain a productive level of passing game, but do you know how much people hate to put eight and nine bodies in the box and yeah. go, I know you're going to run the ball, and then you still score? Or yeah. you still average six, seven, eight yards a pop. Correct. I, I mean, I've never been a defensive coordinator, but I'm sure that's got to be annoying. Yeah. Because the only logical answer is to play what coverage? Man. And coverage, yep. And even if you're – Oh, cat coverage. <laughs> <laughs> even if, you're, if your success rate against man coverage is in the mid-50s, that sucks for yeah. them. Yeah. You, for them, for a defense to be successful with a heavy box – and tight man coverage, they've got to keep you below 50% to have a chance to win, to have a chance to stop you. And so that's – we were able to capitalize, you know, and I don't want to say that we were, like, front runners and, like, we were the ones – Pioneers. Yeah, <laughs> not by any – there was no – like, you get behind the big guys and you run the ball. Yeah. Like, we just – Sometimes we run it left. Sometimes we run it right. But right? there's not right. a new direction. You go towards the end zone. So it, we weren't changing the game in that aspect. But I felt really good about the fact that we saw this huge jump in production. We saw, you know, a 10 or 11-point jump in our points per game. Our yards per game went up 60 yards. Our, you know, our rushing attack, like I said, doubled. And we only saw like a 700-yard drop in – our passing game. And a lot of that was due to the fact that it wasn't really a balanced thing. It was just right. a time. Like we're still, we're running the ball more yeah. than, than we're throwing it, but it's not like it's 80, 20. Correct. It just, you become more opportunistic. You feel more comfortable. And then that kind of full circles back to what we started with of just knowing who you are and continuing to be who you are. Yeah. I was talking to one of our coaches the other day about it. And actually yesterday about our system. And, and my biggest thing was saying, you know, I feel comfortable enough with, with my system and what I use. And obviously it's evolving and, and it's always tweaking and, and trying to make, you know, make it better. But I feel comfortable within my system uh, of being able to um, make those adjustments. And it's not like a drastic change by any means. And I told him, I was like, it's more of just the intent. Like we're going into this game and we're going to make you have to set your jaw as a defense and you better stop power. You better stop wide zone because especially with power. With power, if you can't stop it, there's not some magical thing that you can say, hey, man, you know, we can go ahead and scrape a little more. No, just get tougher. And if you can't, that bruises the ego more than any other pass could ever do, in my opinion. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm the guy where I would love to have five receivers out there slinging it. But I think I'm an idiot as an OC, and I'm stubborn if I don't see this evolution happening and I don't try to end up you know, being on the front run of that and go ahead and make those changes because I'm not only screwing myself over, but I'm screwing the team over. Mm-hmm, 100%. So, so it's just a, a matter of making the rules fit, and that's, I think, as every offensive coordinator struggles with when it comes to verbiage and rules is get it all out of the way now, get it all fixed in the spring, and that way when things change, especially at the high school level when it comes to injuries and all that type of stuff, that your identity doesn't have to change too much. And there, again, there is uh, versatility and adaptability with simplicity within your system. Absolutely. I do have one question based off of that, though. Okay. Because you know that, like, getting getting bigger up front was – it was a kind of a clear-cut answer for us, and, and it sounds like a, a direction that you would like to see, mm-hmm. you know, your offense 
just continue to grow in that aspect. Um, and I know you guys were kind of young up front, yeah. but when you look at a situation like that, when you feel confident, and I'm speaking from a situation that I found myself in, we know that we're going to be able to run the ball effectively. Right. But we also know that the vast majority of the time we're going to see man coverage. Yeah. When you when you hear heavy box man coverage, what do RPOs do in your mind? Get thrown out? Stay in? No, because I think I think it's the type of concepts that you have. Uh, I think even just a couple of years ago, very few people would have had an answer to that because they had kind of these generic RPOs where it was your classic space RPO. Yeah, as your classic, you know, read the slot defender and you know he crashes down, and we're going to go ahead and pull it, and we're going to throw it. Um, but you're starting to see a lot of you know kind of these some rub routes, you know, but some of these man beater RPOs. Um, but it, for me, it comes back to whether it's RPO or or whatever, when you're getting that loaded box, um, again, you got to be able to throw, you, you, you got to throw it. I mean, if you can't beat one-on-one coverage, um, it's not game over, but it, it makes it tough. But you also can't abandon the run. Like, if you can continue to bruise our ego, that makes it even worse. It's like, man, we've got eight guys in the box, and they've got seven. They're still kicking our butt. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't have to, oh, crap, we're outnumbered. We have to throw it now. But uh, it's the intent of it. And it's always taking what they give you. And, again, for me, it's always if you can stick to that intent, uh, knowing what you have for your team. Like for us this year, we have a, a really big running back. We have what Derrick Henry probably looked like in high school, maybe <laughs> even bigger. Um, and so we're going to be way more vertical, way more tight A-gap uh, and downhill. If we had somebody a little bit um, more of a scat back, we're probably a little bit more wide zone, get to the edge. But the intent is we are going to run the rock uh, and make you have to play physical football. Um, and so, but again, I think regardless, you have to be able to throw the football. I think that's the beauty of when you see teams that win these championships. Um, they're really, really good at both. I think you can be great at running the rock, average throwing the football. That'll get you a couple rounds deep. But eventually you're going to go against somebody that's great at both. You know what I mean? And then when you get to that point, that's when you get beat. And so it's, uh, it's a happy balance. So as a coordinator trying to figure out how can you be great at both. Because I always say it all the time. It's one of those things to where you've got to do a good job. I'd rather be great at one thing than average at a bunch of things. That's And I think that you saw, you know, there was a lot of – there was two or three state games this year in Texas that, that kind of built up the height. You had the South Low Cliff, Liberty Hill game that, you know, DISD. And then you had North Shore, Duncanville, Part 3. You mm-hmm. had all these things. But I think that when you look at those and the perfect manifestation of what you're talking about, it's, you know – it's the goat riding off into the sunset. It's Todd Dodge because yeah. they lined up against Rodney Webb and Dent Geyer. And I mean, let's not hold back. Dent Geyer kind of punched him in the mouth the first half. They did. But the beauty and the and the the greatness that is Todd Dodge is I think he's the ultimate know who you are, be who you are. Cause Klubnik didn't he wasn't playing great first half. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they four I think he they he threw two picks in the first half. Yeah, it, um, it was like more than I think he had the whole season. Or right, like that. and but they had just enough balance. They were able to, you know, and they're talking about their two running backs. One started the year on JV, and the other one had quit football and kind of mm-hmm. worked his way back onto the team and accepted his role, et cetera, et cetera, not to get too far into that stuff, which we can talk about later, mm-hmm. but doing just enough in the run game to bide the time to stay f- somewhat efficient and effective to open up the shots to their big time power five receiver, right. you know, which eventually in the second half, 
you start to see the separation. Yeah. The cream rises to the top, et cetera. And that's a really good Denton Geyer team. I but, can tell you. Played against them. Right? <laughs> they were really good. And they had – Westlake had just enough of the balance, yeah. you know, in that setting. They had a lot enough of the balance every other game. Right. When in – I think their average margin of victory was, like, over 50 points, which is just absurd. Yeah, they were killing people. But um, they had enough of that balance to carry them through to kind of fight that current pushback mm-hmm. and – you know, continue to stay true who they were, and the shots opened up, and nobody panicked, right? right? And there weren't a lot of once those once that success comes. The worst thing I think is, you know, and I've seen this previously as a play caller. The worst feeling in the world is when you know it's all about punches and counter punches, mm-hmm. and you throw a punch and it lands, yep, and then you throw the same punch and it doesn't because yep. they've countered. And then when you come with what you think your counter is and it doesn't work. Correct. That's where the panic comes in. Right. Because have I been outsmarted? Are mm-hmm. we not as good as I thought we were? Do I go back to what I, to my original, you know, found first throw? Like what do and that's where that's the chess match of yeah. play the game within the game, the of the play calling back and forth is that when you you everybody goes in, they're super confident in their game plan, right? Yep. And you throw that punch and it lands and you're like, okay. Here we are. We're good. Yep. And then good coaches do what good coaches do. They make the adjustment, and they stop you. In your mind, every coach's mind is, okay, we expected that. Here's our answer. Correct. And then your answer doesn't work. Right. Now what do you do? Correct. And that's – I think that's kind of – I think that was the ebb and flow of that Westlake Geyer game is punches and counter punches. They were able to stop each other, and Todd Dodge just found a way – to continue to stay true to who they were, and the big shots landed, mm-hmm. and it made a huge difference. Which, and you could see that that when it comes back to what you said, which is a great point, you have to have an answer. So with everything that you create, what is the complement to it? What's the answer? And I found myself early in my career that I would have an answer, but I never practiced that complementary answer as much as I practiced like the main thing, right? So, for example, if, if we're going to do A and if A doesn't work, we've got B. But the problem was I would practice A 80% of the time, and I would just ha- – I had the answer for, you know, for B, but we never worked B too much. And and that was my biggest issue. You could tell with, you know, Westlake, they worked it all. And there's only so much you can do defensively at the end of the day to where if you have A and B and you're great at both, that's tough to stop. It. I mean, it's – the problem is, though, again, as a coordinator, you can find yourself having B, C, D, E, and you have all of these answers, and you're just very average at all of them. And then you get to the game, you try all these answers because you're like, well, I have them all, but you're not good at any of them. 100%. I mean, it became, especially at a smaller school like Salina, we we're, we still practice split. You know, it's really hard to play. It's really hard to practice B as much as you want. Correct. It's impossible to practice C. Yes. You know, and it almost became it was a running joke to the point where I mean, I'm sure some kid somewhere would have made a meme about it, but like we had a running joke that spanning back to last year in the playoffs, we had up to a seven game run where we scored a touchdown on a play that we didn't practice. <laughs> and there's false confidence in that. It's right. like, oh, kids, the kids are, are masters. They're Jedis at the program. They understand. Yeah. So we can do, we can tweak this and that. We can do this. And they'll just go out and have a super high success rate. Yeah. And it lulls you into a sense of complacency, not in your game planning, but in your 
your practice efficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, to in my eyes, I found myself saying, you know, the first time it didn't work was like a shock. Yeah. But reflecting, it was you were so invested into practicing your master plan yep. and just relying on the backup plan working. Yes. And yes. the fact of the matter is there's a multitude of variations and variables that lead to that those isolated incidences where those yep. plays worked. But those are changing from week to week, day to day, kid to kid. Correct. And the blanket acceptance is like, oh, if we make an adjustment within the rules of the of the concept or of the offense, if we make an adjustment, the kids will get it. Right. Just blanket accepting that is stupid. And it's going to lead to an eventual failure. And do you, where's that failure going to take place? Is it going to take place in week four? Right. Or is it going to take place in week 14? Yeah. And the worst thing that can happen is the false confidence continues to build. Honestly, the worst thing that would have happened is that, that it rolled all the way through the regular season. Yeah. And now I'm third round of the playoffs. It's like, what do you guys mean? You don't understand. <laughs> We've done this every week. You know, we're on a 15 game, like score on a play. We didn't practice run. And that it's, it, it was funny to joke about and it was lighthearted. And, you know, obviously I never wanted to live that way right. as a play caller, but I distinctly remember talking to guys last offseason, taking a source of pride in that. And I think it's a balance. I think that when you have kids that understand it and the adjustment or the play is simple, absolutely, it's great. Yep. But the more you do it with the simple stuff, the more confident you do it in the ability to do it with something more advanced, and that's where you're going to fall short. And then you're going to start to question yourself. So then it just becomes, again, like you said, do what you practice and practice what you're going to do. Yes, 100%. That's that's the best way to say it. So the the one other thing, being back for a full season, obviously you spent the majority of your time here in Texas, mm-hmm. two years in Tennessee. Tell me something about the game here that you might have forgotten about that was like, oh, man, like I kind of let this slip or <laughs> I forgot about this. Because, like, you went through – I know I know year one, Tennessee, you went through – I mean, the biggest thing, in my opinion, was, like, the rule change. Uh, the rule change uh, – rule changes were big, but the field – remember, yeah, the high school field compared to the college field, the hashes are drastically different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big deal, especially in three-by-one. Uh, it's a really big deal and a lot more space out there in college um and so man, i would say like cutting for example i mean and this is there's probably you know way bigger examples like i could give you but like this year as far as being able to cut that's not a thing you know in, in high school and the nfhs rules i mean it's so much more limited compared to college um and there's times where i would forget as far as oh crap yeah that's a freak up there uh, and we could have been practicing cutting, and and I did not do that at all because I didn't even consider it because my brain went back to to Tennessee rules, and so that's a big deal for us. Now, thankfully, you know, it wasn't that huge of a deal because I run it back again. It was like a mini Derrick Henry, so like, yeah. it wasn't times, you know, a lot of times where we had to do that. But there was a couple weeks there where we would play a team like a Denton Guy or something like that where they had some cats on the other side that were maybe a little larger than him. Yeah, uh, where that would have came into play, but but yeah, you, you don't think about those things until it pops up in the game, and it's it makes a big difference. 
Yeah, I remember. So we played our fourth round game at UNT. Mm. When our kicker is a kid that he moved from Colorado. Uh, dad got a job in Metroplex, and so they moved down. Um, he was basically having like I don't want to call it a panic attack, but like he was very aware of where we were playing and when, checking weather, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because they don't change the goalposts. Yeah. And our goalposts are, even though we could play by NCAA rules, they're still wider than they were at UNT. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know little stuff like that. You, I remember you telling me that about, like, the state game when you were up there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it's because in Tennessee they would play the state championship on a college field, but they're NFHS rules the whole year. So you have wider hashes, goalposts is wider, and then all of a sudden you get to the state championship, and we're sitting there, like, a week before, and I'm like uh, – yeah, Coach, we might uh, – I'm sure they probably paint the hashes, but we might want to call just to double check. And long story short, they were like, yeah, no, they're, they're college hashes and college uh, uprights. I guess nobody ever thought about that before, but it's <laughs> like, that's, that's a really big deal. So Absolutely. we have to come out and have somebody paint hashes on the field so we could practice. But um, And then, you know, obviously moving forward to the NFL is even that much more of a, you know, yeah. a bigger deal. So it's – yeah, it's, it's definitely different, but the rules are – I remember the first time I ever heard Phil Bennett yell about that, like at practice. It was my fifth year, and it was Bennett's first year at Baylor. And you know what do offensive coaches do? Like you're living in the middle of the field, like it's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah. And, um, I can't. I I can't remember if he was yelling at a scout team session or a team session, but I distinctly remember like both fields being able to hear perfectly clear, like, the game's played on the hashes, mother freaking ball. So true. You know, and, like, just freaking out about stuff like that. But as a player, you don't really think about it. But, yeah. like, as a coach, especially as a play caller, like, that's so invaluable. Like, formation of the boundary, formation of the field, like, that's where do you want to bring enough. stuff? Just – and those are the things that I'll never forget, like, when we met. I thought I knew a lot about football, right? I was that you, – you know, early 20s, like, aspiring coach, knew a lot about football. Yeah, we, and, say, we all do. You know, <laughs> and – those things never cross your mind. And right. then, like, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And the more you learn, you realize the less you know. Correct. And, uh, but talking, just talking about hashes, I always think about Phil Bennett screaming like that. But I got one actually. I think about it the uh, iPads. Oh, that's, that's okay. That's kind of what I was hoping for. Your yeah. huddle sideline. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember safety net. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember. So the last year there, I was, there, I was at Lipscomb, the last. Four to five games, I actually had to force myself to try to stay away from the iPad uh, between series because, again, it, it is legal there to be able, after series, we actually had a massive tent with a projector. Uh, you've seen pictures before, yeah. right, with a projector. And we've got some, I have a kid that brings me an iPad and shows me, and I'm sitting there scrolling. I mean, complete cheating, it feels like. Um, makes it so much easier because you can see everything just right there, right then. Um, and so I had to force myself those last few games to try, try to stay away from it just so I could train my eyes to see it like don't rely on the ipad like make yourself see it right now that's a that's the biggest change yeah i mean this guy's looking at an you know hd picture of an all 22 of the series he just called and then i'm over here looking at a legal pad that a sub varsity kid's filling out that says (laughs) down in distance play call 
gain loss. Try to scribble okay. what the defensive formation <laughs> looks like. Where's, oh, not where's even, the alley on defender? The he might be here. Not okay. even that on the sideline. I'm literally just getting play call gain loss yeah. and then trying to take mental notes of like, okay, why did we lose three yards in that play? Okay, that was when yeah. you know so-and-so tripped or we bobbled the exchange, et cetera. Yeah. But like I'm staring at a legal pad of a 15-year-old's handwriting and this guy's looking at an iPad. So yeah. you know that's what I was kind of hoping you were saying because I think that – I think that people don't understand how valuable that is mm -hmm. until they it was given to them and then taken away.